I stood for election in Oma for local council. No, I got 80 number one votes, 8-0. I came 11th out of 11, and uh, that was very humbling. My name is Victoria Geelin. I'm a singer, and I also write songs. I didn't have in my flat for ages were mirrors and clocks. What is it that you're so afraid of? Victoria, what are you doing? And I immediately burst into tears. Who is it that you want to be? Men were like, wow, look at your skin. It's so it's so beautiful. Keep hiding, hiding. I-, I lied a lot, actually. I lied that I could see things what when I couldn't. You just can't see For I am waiting I am waiting for you That's a nice wee sexy number I haven't really worn that actually To come through and tell us what is true I am waiting I am waiting for you To in one eye I'm registered as seeing three metres what a fully sighted person would see it's 60 metres in the other eye I'm registered as four over 60 so in one eye I'm legally blind and in the other eye I'm partially sighted, so overall I'm registered as partially sighted, but I'm neither nor. For me it fully captures the not being one or the other that seems to dominate so many things in my general life. What is it that you're so where I spent seven years of my life as a teenager. Oma Academy Grammar School, which was a majority Protestant school. I was one of six Victorias because it's such a Protestant name. And my associations with here are... uh, Well, I think everybody at secondary school just, you know, you want to fit in, you're so aware of your difference. I mean, I lied. I said that I was Presbyterian and or, or that... I lied a lot, actually. I lied that I could see things when I couldn't or that I didn't need help. When I was 17, my sister Jessica had actually transferred to my mother's school. So she was attending a Catholic high school because um, it suited her better academically. And um, there was a course there she wanted to do. So she had a navy blazer and I had a navy blazer. But her navy blazer, you can guess what's going to happen, her navy blazer had the St. Bridget's Cross 
on the breast pocket and my navy blazer had the three lions. So, of course, one morning I sort of rolled out of bed and ran down the stairs and grabbed the blazer at the bottom of the stairs and ran out to school. <laughs> sure enough, my heart just dropped. I'd taken the wrong blazer. And all I could think of, you know, was what kind of treatment am I going to get at school? And there was always this VP in the school who just, I don't know, we kind of had a love-hate relationship, I think, because I think she liked my sort of feistiness. I would sort of talk back, but always politely, but with a bit of, you know, boldness. And uh, I wouldn't wear, I hated wearing the blazer and you had to wear your blazer in the corridor and she would find me, Victoria, what are you doing not wearing your blazer in the corridor again? I've caught you up on this before. And I immediately burst into tears and she took me to her office and then she, of course, I'm sure she was probably trying not to laugh a wee bit, but she also really felt for me, it was the first time I ever felt empathy from this woman. And, you know, for that whole day, I think I managed to keep my blazer off and not have anybody notice that it was a big Fenian blazer, you know, in uh, <laughs> which is the word that's typically used, you know. <sighs> okay. I did definitely suffer an identity crisis as a teenager. It was like, what am I? I'm a Protestant. I'm like, Catholic am I, am I you know where do I belong whose side am I on and who's on my side more to the point but now I'm referred to endearingly as a Fenian Jaffa Yes, we are. Hello, darling daughter. How are we doing? Hello. Oh, good. Yes, I'm good just looking you. after the food here. Your mother's your mother's on my computer. So okay, let's Come go. Ahead. Come on ahead. Thank you. As a child, Victoria was very energetic. She would be running all over the place. I remember just holding on to skirts and straps and everything. And with her having albinism, she wouldn't be able to differentiate steps from a path. You know, she would be climbing trees and climbing uh, bars. And I had to walk underneath because she had no fear. And I remember one time in the swimming pool, we were sitting in the gallery and she just ran down and she had no idea she was going to fall right down onto the tiles beside the pool because she had no idea of depth. But she was always singing and dancing and full of fun. And then being a teacher, I would have taught her the songs for the faces. She'd do them in school, but then we'd be hammering them away at the piano. And come on, Victoria, get that right. And as she said, reading music for her was difficult. So 
We played it over and over again. And she had such a good ear and that stood to her. So at the fish, we hammered away and she went up and she got first. And I remember saying to her, now you have to go in for the fish again this year. Why should I? She'll always get first anyway. <laughs> you know? 1988, Jessica and Victoria Gillen with Wash That Man Let Out of Your Hair. Betty and I'm going, going to wash that man right out of my hair. I'm going to wash I was performing in musicals myself and I taught some music and I was performing in South Pacific and I had to learn my song. And send him on his way. So I'd be singing the songs and the girls would be singing them and we'd sing them together and all and one of them was Honey Bun. Do you remember that singing it? Her hair is blonde and curly Her curls are hurly burly Her lips are pink. Come on Victoria, I want to see you. Twirly and whirly. A hundred and one pounds of fun. Pounds of fun. That's my little honey bun. Get a load of honey bun tonight. I'm speaking of my sweetie pie. Only 18 inches high. Get a load of honey bun pie. Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton, that's right, yeah. Gary Moore. I love the Jimi Hendrix album you had. I remember just thinking that was so so completely different because there was all the blues stuff, mm-hmm. which I love just because of the raw emotion in it, you know. And in regards to, like, other people's parents' music collections, it's quite a contrast. <laughs> You're more into your rock and blues. Give me a reason to love you. Give me a reason to be a woman. I just want to be a woman. It's quite a full wardrobe. This actually, <laughs> what do you call it? Pastels. Nightmare. Absolute nightmare. I just look like a cloud. Because <laughs> albinism is the absence of melanin, of pigment. So it's the absence of pigment from hair and the iris, which is why there's this misconception that albinos have red eyes. What it actually is is that you can see the blood through the pale colour of their iris. And that is why like, my eyes can appear purple sometimes. I was in France one time and these women were like, regarde ses yeux, regarde ses yeux. You know, look at her eyes. And then they were like, look at my eyes. And I was like, what are they looking at? Are they looking at the fact that they're moving from side to side? And they're like, oh, ils sont mauve. They're mauve, you know, like this, on a pale shade of purple. And they were just fascinated by the colour of my eyes. Anyway, um, that's a nice wee sexy number. I haven't really worn that, actually. And it's black. And for a long time, I didn't wear black. When I was about 17, 18, I think every teenager goes through a black phase, and uh, I actually had one fella. I was kissing him, and uh, he called me his baby Guinness. I loved that. I thought that was great. So I liked that one. Albinism was not something that was ever shown to me to be beautiful. Except as I got older, and I travelled, and men were 
talking to me in a way I'd never been spoken to, which was with, like, wow, look at your skin. It's so, it's so beautiful. It's like milk or ice cream. <laughs> or, you know, that my hair was like the sun or the moonlight or whatever, you know. I, I, I definitely, I love feminine clothes. I love fitted clothes. And the colours are certainly very important. Black can be an issue because, like, there's a couple of things in here that are black. And if it's black and it's a dark wardrobe like this is, it kind of fades into the background. Like, this skirt is bright yellow with black polka dots on it. I only have one thing that's bright yellow with black polka dots on it, and I know it's a skirt. So if I'm looking for it, I know exactly what it looks like even before I look for it, you know? I've got the picture in my head. So it's very practical really, as well as, you know, making you stand out from the crowd, but nature made sure of that anyway, so. It's unlikely that I'd like you, but I seem to. It's unlikely that you'd like me, but you seem to like me too. This was where the Royal Arms Hotel originally stood, and this would have been where my mother and father met in January 1976 on a blind date. And the Royal Arms Hotel was very much a place where it didn't belong to one side or the other. It just was, it was where you went for a dance or a drink. Just a good time. I had been teaching English in Sicily. I like to like, I love to like. And I had come back as I saw this godforsaken land of Ireland rain and the troubles were on and I had left this sunny place with lots of amorous boyfriends and went out this night. My cousin, Nula, invited me along to meet her friend Dennis. I like to like, I love to like the funny things you do. There was a definite spark there. You could say it was love at first sight. When Dennis and I started going out a little bit, I naturally told my mother that Dennis was not a Catholic, that he was a Protestant. And that didn't perturb her much at all because my aunts had married Protestants. Well, in my family, my mother was very broad-minded. My father, I should say, died when I was 21. I love to like, I love to love the funny At 27, I got my heart broken. And I needed something. <laughs> and I thought I could either turn to drink, <laughs> hard drugs. But on top of that, 
There's a line, and I don't even know if, if I came up with it or someone else did. Cigarettes kiss the lips of those who long to be kissed. Something like that. Both my parents smoked, and I hated it. I hated the smell. I mean, I remember having smoked a cigarette age 12 and then being violently ill, and that was the end of that, you know. There's something to it. Many singers have smoked Nat King Cole. <laughs> Chain smoked seven cigarettes before doing any audio recording because he believed it gave his voice a certain timbre. He, of course, died of lung cancer age 49. <laughs> my singing comes from experience and from emotion. And smoking is an expression of that, as, as bizarre as it might sound. Because when the smoking ban came in here in 2007... I went, oh, my friends were smokers, feckin' artists, you know. So I went outside to stand with them, and I didn't smoke for years and years. And then it was like, after heartache, it was the only companion I had. You know, and I would just sit and listen to Al Green, how, how can you mend a broken heart and smoke a cigarette and be like, yeah. Al, you know my pain. I'm a total romantic and the relationship I was in before I did envisage children with that man and, and settling down and what actually came to the fore was my absolute fear of having a child with albinism so I mean, it was one of the things, it wasn't the thing, but it's something that I've, I've given time and thought to since. I mean, I understand the genetics of it, so, like, if the father of my ch children doesn't have the albinism gene, then I won't have children with albinism. Both parents need to have the gene to produce a child with albinism, and even then there's a one-in-four chance. But I had to sort of go and explore emotionally, what it would be like to have a child with albinism. And in fact, the word albino, when you really look at it, is a beautiful word. Alba means dawn. In Spanish, of course, I'm albina. So if you translate it, albina, it's little dawn. And that's beautiful. And when I got a handle on that, truly, when I really thought about, you know, having this little baby, this little white ball <laughs> I mean any little baby is a little ball of something um, but the idea of having a little child with albinism didn't scare me the way that it used to Victoria arrived when Dennis was just a policeman a matter of weeks I moved to Oma because I was working for the Nestle company I was working in the laboratory, and during that time, when I was living in a flat in Oma, there was one particular night, I remember, there was a large explosion, and it was very, very close. And after the explosion, a lot of people will tell you this, everything's completely silent, until all the debris starts to clatter down on the roof or wherever. And at that stage, I thought, this is getting very serious. We had firebombs in shops, we had car bombs in the town, on a regular basis. 
besides all the shootings that were going on as well. So I thought the country's going to burst into civil war. So I said, you know, I feel I better do something. At the time that I left Nestle's, the company was in the process of winding down. And uh, I decided then, that's it, I will become a police officer. So I did that on the 2nd of January 1983. There was a photograph taken of me, aged four, wearing daddy's uniform. And uh, I think I wore it with great pride. And I remember putting on his boots and the boots coming up to my thighs. You know, they were just massive. I wanted to be a boy <laughs> when I was wee. I certainly remember looking under the car for bombs. And, of course, I'm partially sighted. So the whole notion, I mean, first of all, I didn't know what I was looking at. Second of all, I didn't know what a bomb looked like anyway. There was a soldier killed very near our school. So I would pray with the children and pray for everybody. We prayed for the dead every day. And you would notice there were girls who would not pray. And you knew and you made a mental note that they know that my husband is in the police. And thereby I was just aware of it. But that didn't stop me. We went on. You had to go on with normal life. You just made a note. You were just careful, said as little as possible. Don't tell anybody that your father's in the police and don't say this and don't do that. You know, the certain things specifically relating to daddy's job. I mean, we went to police children's parties, but then the whole thing was Jessica and my sister and I, we were brought up Catholic. So we didn't know any of the other kids because they were gone Protestant schools generally and, you know, knowing who you could trust and things like that. And really thinking that our parents were kind of overstating it all a bit much and just being a bit too strict, you know, in, in regards to not telling anybody about daddy's job. I you know I reveled sometimes in actually breaking that. But at 10 years old, when I heard about two policemen being shot, that's when I woke up, really and was like, actually, OK, this is real. It's very difficult to be inside a child's mind. You don't know what's going through their minds. And there were times they've told me that if I was out at a meeting, and they were in their early teens, that they were always afraid maybe a gunman could come and shoot in the window. But I wasn't aware of that. We did get blinds so that they couldn't see out. But I suppose a gunman wasn't to know if we were at home or not. The whole idea that, you know, guns are bad, but your daddy has one. I remember being shown the gun and being told never to touch it. So there's lots of conflict and lots of questions. Any uh, questions that were completely obliterated that day? We had the bomb in Oma. Once upon this planet Earth I was uh, in the station writing a statement and uh, we got a call on the radio to get into Oma as quickly as possible. Halfway into Oma, we heard on the radio the guys who were on the scene telling that the bomb had just gone off and their voices were highly emotional. Once upon this planet Earth Nobody had a mobile that would work because the, all the mobile network was jammed. I eventually did get a phone call home. My wife picked up the phone and she briefly answered and I said, is everybody okay? And she said, yes, and that's about as far as I got. The phone went dead. Later on, I was manning a traffic diversion near the academy school and um, 
This is the first time when I uh, saw my two girls coming towards me, and that was the biggest relief of my life to know that they actually were safe and well. Turn the other cheek, he'd bleed. Love thy neighbor was his creed. I stood for election once, and I don't see me doing it again. I stood for the Alliance Party, which is the only major of the five major parties in Northern Ireland. It's the only one that is specifically in, and outlines it in its manifesto, cross-community, and is for integrated education. And having experienced that, that's the only way I see us going forward. We have to get our kids educated together. You can't be making up stories about the other side. No, I got 80 number one votes, 8-0. I came 11th out of 11, and uh, that was very humbling. And a number of people told me, you know, that they'd voted for me, and I just was like, that's wonderful. But um, I have to say, in hindsight, I'm relieved that I didn't get in, because I'm happier here in Derry, living here, and my heart's here. And, and I'm political but I think I can actually have far more impact as an artist than as a politician. This is it, my habitat. The whole square was built in and around 1863. They were built for the esteemed members of the community, the, the landed gentry with the park outside, you know. I like to say that it puts the London into Londonderry. It has that feel about it, certainly. And the, the whole house is a, just a great feeling about it. It's really homely. This is the first time like I've really felt settled somewhere. This is my office, which doesn't look much like an office at the moment. It's got the makings of it, but I, I have yet to sort of properly get up and running. But this is my whiteboard, um, which I also use to write lyrics. So up there at the moment, it says I changed H's to H's and chapels to churches. And I am stunned when my worth is determined by what my birth is. Those are lyrics, especially the first two lines that have been floating about in my head for a while. And it's the fact that in Northern Ireland, if you say H that denotes that you're Catholic, whereas H denotes that you're Protestant, supposedly. So when I lived in another address in Derry when I first moved here, the postcode was 6HH. That's what I used to say. Because <laughs> it actually was. There were two of them. And then chapel. When I went to secondary school, you know it was a majority Protestant school. I changed talking about chapel to talking about church. That's another difference that I picked up on so this is a song that is a work in progress. But I just love the, it's the, I change the H's to H's and chapels to churches. And I'm stunned when my worth is determined by what my birth is. Anyway, there's a rhythm there that I am working on. <laughs> It'll be on the next album, the second album. 
Once upon this planet Earth Lived a man of humble birth So this track, um, Why the King of Love is Dead, uh, was written by Nina Simone's bassist on the day that Martin Luther King was assassinated and she performed it live for the first time three days after his death on what was declared a national day of mourning. Once upon this planet Earth I did this in the... The first show I ever performed at the City of Derry Jazz Festival was 4th of May 2011. It was a Sunday and on the Saturday I'd woken up and I'd totally lost my voice. I'd been out canvassing for six weeks. Turn the other cheek, he'd bleed. Love thy neighbour was his creed. What had also happened with particularly this track was that a month earlier, while I was standing for election, a police officer called Ronan Kerr was murdered outside his home in Oma. And he was a Catholic and a member of the PSNI, the Police Service of Northern Ireland, which had been created to rid us of all the negative associations with the RUC and because it would have been seen as a majority Protestant force. And there was evidence of collusion with loyalist paramilitaries. And so the PSNI was created. They had created a new uniform, a new look, a new name, a new badge. And they even had a Gaelic football team, of which Roman Kerr was a member. And he was murdered by a car bomb in his own car, situated outside his home. From his foes, he did not hide. And this was 2011. You know, we all thought that those days were gone. It's hard to think that this great man is dead. And so when I started to sing this song, I dedicated it to the people of Northern Ireland. But inside, I actually wanted to say, this is for Roman Care and his family. Will the murders never cease? Are they men? Are they beasts? What do they ever hope? Ever hope to gain? He was not. Well, this is the music room. We honky-tonk piano here, which is um, pretty
pretty Tom Waits sounding when you get into it. I love it. It's just a wee upright. And then um, a grand piano also, which uh, is a three-quarter grand. And uh, they're not called a grand piano for nothing because it would take about a grand to get it properly working. It's desperately out of tune. <laughs> this is me playing Moonlight Sonata. <laughs> I like to do a reggae version of it. Two things I didn't have in my flat for ages were mirrors and clocks. Clocks because I couldn't really read them and I don't think we can get a bit caught up in time. And mirrors because, well, I couldn't really see in the mirrors. <laughs> they made me feel even more blind. Right, we ready to go? <laughs> right, Shanae, and Andy Ammo, huh? I'm trying to think of an appropriate song to sing as we go, I don't know where to. Do you know what I was singing? Outside San Dino's earlier, there's a girl she always requests, That's Life, by Frank Sinatra. Great tune. Because it's so uplifting, you know, and the power of music again. I've been a puppet, a poet, a pirate, a pauper, a pawn and a king. I've been up and down and over and out, and I know one thing. Each time I find myself lying flat down on my face, I just pick myself up and get back in the race that's life. And I tell you, I can't deny it. I thought of quitting, baby, but my heart just wouldn't buy it. So if I didn't think it was worth one more try, I'd roll myself up in a great big ball. Oh, hello there. Hello. <laughs> Are you singing? I am singing. Oh, sorry. I'm singing to myself. How are you doing, Colm? <laughs> ah, you're too kind. You're too kind. 